Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 496 with Mara Thomas. Mara has done boatloads of research on managing your attention. So you'll learn one, how we sabotage our performance every three-ish minutes. Two, the simple trick to stopping most office distractions. And three, how to get more satisfaction out of work. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep496. Now here's Mara's story. Mara Neville Thomas is an award-winning international speaker and trainer on individual and corporate productivity and work-life balance and the most widely cited authority on attention management. She's a TEDx speaker, founder of Regain Your Time, author of three books, and was named a top leadership speaker in Inc. Magazine. Mara is a contributing expert to major business outlets, including Forbes, Fast Company, Huffington Post, and the Harvard Business Review. Big thanks to Mora for sharing some time with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Mara. Mara, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, one of the first things I wanted to hear a little bit about was you do some martial arts stuff. Can you tell us about that and maybe any personal safety tips we should know from your learnings? Sure. Yeah, I trained in martial arts and a variety of other self-defense courses for many years. And I think the most useful tip I can pass along is don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. And I think a lot of people don't recognize is that if you are in a place that is perhaps not so safe, right? Like out on the street at night, by yourself in the dark or like in a deserted stairwell or just any place where your personal safety could potentially be at risk, being distracted in that moment is really dangerous, right? Being on your phone, um, having headphones in your ear, ear pods in your ears where you can't hear anything. The smartest thing you can do when you are out and about, especially at night when you're alone in secluded places is be present and aware. One time I was actually punched in the face at, at the right near a Chipotle in not a bad neighborhood at around twilight. And you know what? I was I was looking at my phone and the guy just yelled at me, get the F out of the way. And he might have had some some mental illness or, or something going on because he just kept walking after that. And in all fairness, I was in his way and I was distracted, but he could have just said, excuse me, and I would have gladly step to the side. So I, I did not heed your wisdom. <laughs> well, it's easy to forget 
but it's, I think it's super important. Well, well, lessons learned and, and I'm fine if, uh, if anyone was, was worried and, and I learned a good lesson about compassion because a lot of people, it was, it was spooky. It's like, they, they don't want to look at the guy who just got punched. Well, anyway, I didn't think we were going to go there, but now we're doing some disclosing and you're talking about managing your attention. You're a real pro at this. You've done a lot of research and, and there's a, a lesson right there. If you don't manage your attention, there could be personal injury, but more likely career and productivity injury. Uh, Tell us, what's a fascinating discovery you've made about how we manage our attention and and we can do it better? I think the most interesting thing that I have learned is that distraction is a habit. And it is a habit that has been cultivated in us on purpose by our technology. But the idea is that the more distracted we are, the more distracted we will be. And there was a study by Gloria Mark out of the University of Irvine. And she discovered that we switch our attention on average about every three minutes, three minutes and five seconds to be precise is what her study concluded. And so when you do something every three minutes all day long, it becomes a habit. And it is a habit that our technology only cultivates, right? In us, because our technology is designed to steal our attention basically, and to keep our attention, right? The job of the internet is to keep you on the internet. Not only are you distracted by your technology, but you're distracted by other people. And every few minutes all day long, you get a distraction that becomes a habit that gets reinforced, which means it becomes a really strong habit, which means you can't just leave it behind when you walk out the door of the office. And you can't just decide like, I'm not going to have that habit right now because I'm on my personal time (laughs) or because it's the weekend or because I'm on vacation. That habit follows you and it sticks with you and it really undermines us. Boy, there's, there's so much that you got me thinking about here. So, so three minutes, five seconds. And so in a way I find that a little bit encouraging that if, if I'm focusing on something for longer than that, then I I'm kind of making progress. (laughs) You are making some progress, but think about this. We try to do important things, right? We not only tasks at work that require our brain power, which we were, by the way, hired for (laughs) not only tasks, but also interactions, conversations, experiences. And we think that we can fully experience something, fully be present in something, fully apply ourselves in about as long as it takes to toast bread. (laughs) And you know, what's really sad about that is that because this habit of distraction has eroded our patients so much, I bet there are many people listening right now saying it takes kind of a long time to toast bread. (laughs) I could check several emails in the time I'm spending toasting the bread. (laughs) Exactly. And it feels like a minute, two minutes, three minutes is like, oh, I got this. But here's the thing. Your brain requires momentum, right? It takes you a few minutes, depending on the complexity of the task, right? The complexity of whatever it is that is happening to you right at that moment, the experience you're in. It takes you a minute or two minutes or three minutes or five minutes to get your head into something, right? Yeah. To build up that brain power momentum. So you're like, oh yeah, I'm in it. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I hear what you're saying. I know where we need to go with this project. I have this idea now and I'm going to expand on it. Right. And when we do our most challenging things or have our most richest experiences or our most meaningful interactions, a couple of minutes isn't enough. It takes more than that to build up that momentum, to be there, to apply ourselves. And we almost never get that. And yet 
most of us probably, I'm imagining most of the people listening to this podcast are knowledge workers, which means our job outputs are intangible brain activities, right? There are things like ideas and creativity and relationships and innovation and analysis and research and those things that we use our brain for and those things that require brain power momentum, <laughs> that's what we were hired for. So, and so then we hire those people because they, we think we have this, they have this brain power and these qualities that we want in an employee. And then we put them in a situation where they can't express those qualities and that brain power in any meaningful way, pretty much ever. And so you're talking about situations in terms of we have a, a context full of distractions or what, what do you mean by situations? The work environment where they are distracted all day long and they are distracted all day long as a result of the culture. So for example, when I'm speaking to an audience, I ask people, how many of you have two computer monitors? And some people raise their hand or I say two or more computer monitors and pretty much everyone raises their hand, right? And then I ask, what is on those monitors? And people essentially tell me work is on one and email and other communication devices, instant message, whatever is on the other. And so how often when you are at work, are you going to get an instant message, a text message or an email? Pretty much all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the company, like you imagine you are going into a new job and you're walking around and you're shaking everybody's hand and you're meeting people and everyone has two monitors on their desk. And on each monitor for everyone, they have, you know, some sort of spreadsheet or document or something open on one and their email and other communication devices open on the other. So aren't you going to get the impression like, okay, this is how we do things. Sign me up for my two monitors so that I can leave my email open all the time. And the average person gets an email every like two to four minutes. And so it's sort of by design that these people that we bring in because of their brain power are unable to apply their brain power. And that's just one of the many ways that the culture sabotages performance. Well, then I guess you also have sort of the, the open office plans that are, that are in vogue and, and then folks sort of drop it by all the time. And, and then plenty of other things, whether it's uh, you know, the Slack, the instant messaging there. So, okay. Well, so I, I'm with you there. There's plenty of things that disrupt our attention and pull us all over the place. So I want to dig into the, the how, but, but maybe first, could you maybe inspire us with case study or research or an example of, of what's really possible in, in terms of the, the leap a, a professional could make with their attention management in the, the current state versus an ideal state? Yeah. I think the most recent example I have actually is in someone's personal life. So I was was at a client this morning, in fact, and um, I was talking to one of the women, Kristen, and Kristen, I had just finished the attention management portion of the training that I was delivering at this company. And so Kristen and I were talking after that and, and she's like, you know, this whole idea of habit as, uh, as distraction, as a habit is so true. She said, I recently went out on maternity leave and when my son was born, I would be holding him and the urge to hold my phone in the other hand was overwhelming. <laughs> she was like, here, I have this perfect life, <laughs> right? And my baby is only going to be this age once. And I'm, I'm looking into his beautiful face and there was still part of my brain going, you know, I just should pick up your phone. Maybe you have some messages. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she said, I was so dismayed 
by that, that it was so hard for me to be present in these first moments of my son's life because I was so distracted by my phone, which wasn't even around. I was just thinking about it and feeling like I should have it, feeling like I was missing, not even missing out, but missing something. Like there's something missing. Like, oh, my phone is not in my hand. That's the problem. Yeah. And she told me that it took her a few weeks on maternity leave and she had to work really hard to overcome that urge to not multitask while she was interacting with her baby. <laughs> right. And she was upset by it. She was like, I cannot believe that my newborn infant like didn't seem like enough for me in that moment. And, but she was out on maternity leave for a couple of months and she, she really kicked that habit of distraction. And she found that time with her child so much more rewarding. And there are new studies out. I just saw just sort of the headline of one that talked about the impact that when parents have the TV on their interactions with their children go down. When they have some sort of technology distraction around them, the number and quality of interactions with their children go down. She was able to kick the habit and she had a much better time with her, with her child while she was out for those two months, because most people don't get that opportunity to spend all of this precious time with their newborn. You get maybe a week, you know, six weeks or eight weeks or something, and then you're not with them. If you have to go back to work, whether it's a mother or a father, right? And whatever parent, you are not with them after mm -hmm. that, because you have to go back to work for most of the day. Kristen hadn't been aware and had just sort of felt like her phone is fine in her hand. How much of those first, you know, th that early life of her child would she have missed because she was distracted? Yeah, that, that is powerful. And I'm glad to hear there was a happy ending there. And this reminds me of my favorite tweet of all time, which just sort of made me chuckle. And it went like this. I think you'll get the joke. I don't think the tweeter was trying to make a joke, but the tweet read, holding my child and just so present in this moment. <laughs> uh -huh. Methinks you are not as present as you think you are, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right then. So, so it's a habit. It, it can creep into all aspects of our life, even during very privileged times. So, so what do you recommend is the means of, of building a new habit that will serve us better? Yeah. The first thing is that we need to become aware of how often we are distracted because I think a lot of people think that this isn't a challenge for them. Kristen herself said, I didn't notice until I was home with my child on maternity leave. Apple came out with a study, I think it was in 2015. So I'm sure the number has changed quite a lot now, but even in 2015, it showed that we unlock our phones 80 some odd times a day. 80 times a day, 80 mm -hmm. plus times a day that we unlock our phones. And so what else is going on in that moment that you are unlocking your phone and doing something on it? Are you driving? Probably <laughs> often, right? Is there somebody else in your presence? Often, probably. Are you having an experience, right? Capturing an experience so that we can have the memory is really important, so taking pictures, for example, on vacation is really important, but posting those pictures on Facebook and Instagram, probably not that important in that moment. Right. <laughs> right. So becoming aware of how distracted we are, because you can't change a habit that you don't know you have. Right. Wayne Dyer said, awareness is the greatest agent for change. And so that's really important is becoming aware and becoming aware of 
how technology lures us into that habit, right? I mean, you know, all of the persuasive technology and all of the ways that technology developers are studying neuroscience and cognitive psychology and behavioral science to figure out what are our human tendencies and how can they exploit those to keep us using our technology longer. So one simple example is that human beings look for natural stopping points when we're doing something, right? Like if you're reading a a book, you might be like, well, when I finish this chapter, then I'll stop. And have you noticed? So that's a thing that we do. Human beings, we look for natural stopping points. And so technology developers have recognized this. And so they have taken away the stopping points. I mean, have you noticed that on Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, when you are scrolling, there's no bottom of the page. It just keeps reloading. Yeah. They just keep loading more, more and more and more. So they said, well, they'll stop if there's a stopping point. So we need to make sure there are no stopping points, right? It's the same reason why casinos don't have windows, right? (laughs) Oh, Hey, it's nighttime. Maybe I should go home. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There's no clocks and there's no windows in casinos because those are sort of stopping points that we would say, oh, maybe I should leave now. So let's take those away. So recognizing how we are being manipulated, how, and you know, I don't say this to, to make technology companies be the bad guy. I'm not a Luddite by any stretch of the imagination. I love my technology as much as anybody else. On the other hand, we need to control our technology. And that's, that's another step. Our technology will control us if, if we allow it to. And so one of the ways to overcome this habit of distraction is to exert some control over our technology, whether it's off or silent, not vibrate or airplane mode or do not disturb or, you know, shutting off the notifications, shutting off all those little red numbers that, you know, those notifications in the little red circle that just call your attention all of those things, if we don't exert any control over our technology, our technology controls us. And then that habit just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and chips away at our attention span and chips away at our patience and chips away at our ability to apply ourselves in any meaningful way, not just our wisdom and our knowledge and our experience, but also our empathy and our compassion and our humor and our kindness. Amara, I completely agree. I don't know if it's angry, but I react strongly when an app requests, it's like such and such would like to send you notifications. Like, well, you are denied. You may not send me notifications. Exactly. I guess I'm okay with that. I hope my friends and family are too, uh, that uh, I'm, I'm not made aware of their text message until maybe hours later because I don't allow the badge or the buzz to let me know that there's a new text message for me because I think that drives me insane. <laughs> In terms of, I'm trying to have a great conversation with Mara right now. So those text messages will have to wait uh, for a moment. And, and, and I think that we're, I'm, I'm better for it. And, and I hope that everyone else is okay waiting a little while. And, and, and very rarely have I been prompted in terms of, hey, what's going on? You're rude. So I think whatever fears folks have are, you know, some some may be real in terms of particular stakeholders. You got to have some conversations. But I think for the most part, I think people are, are kind of chill and they say, you know what? I wish I could do that too. That's great. All right. We're becoming aware. We're controlling our technology. What else should we do? So the next thing is that we need to control our environment because we have, even in an open office, we have more control over our environment than we exert. So for example, people think, well, the office is loud and it's busy and there are people walking by me and interrupting me and distracting me all the time. And that's just the way it is. And I have to just adapt. But the truth is, if you gave your colleagues some 
signal, a sign, right? Maybe with some people, it would need to be a more overt signal than, than with other people. But if you had a sign on the back of your chair that said, you know, deep work in progress or something, important work in progress, working on my flow, please do not disturb whatever it says, you know, let your personality shine through, but whatever it says, if your coworkers saw that, they would be less likely to interrupt you anyway. Unless if you can't make a sign and put it up and just leave it there all the time, because now the right. sign doesn't mean anything, right? It certainly. You're not flowing 100% of the time. Nobody is. We don't buy it. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you have to be judicious about it and say, no, really, when I'm going to do important work and I need to build up that brain power momentum, that's when the sign goes up. And when I'm done with that, that's when the sign comes down. And if you do that, and so, you know, I tell my clients, I don't know if it should be 20 minutes every hour or an hour, a few times a day, or, I mean, the frequency and the duration is completely up to you. And it also depends on the nature of your job. Some people's jobs are more collaborative than other people's jobs. If you are the office manager, you probably have more interactive work than if you are a programmer you probably need more focused time. So it's, it's up to you to say, but if you have anything that requires any amount of your brain power in any meaningful way, then there has to be some times when you can be undistracted. And so whether that means a sign or headphones, or if you are lucky enough to have an office with a door and you close it, or you go into a conference room that nobody's using or, you know, whatever it is, but you have to exert some control and then you have to honor, you have to create those boundaries and then you have to honor those boundaries, right? So if you have your sign up and somebody interrupts you anyway, then you have to say to them, did you see the sign? I'm sorry. I, unless this is an emergency, right? And your sign should say something about emergencies, but unless this is a true emergency, please don't interrupt me. And so then if they do anyway, you have to say, I, can you come back when, when the sign comes down? Because I, I can't help you right now in whatever language, whatever, you know, whatever way you feel is appropriate to do that. But you have to, because if you put the sign up and people interrupt you anyway, and then you say, okay, what do you need? Well, you've just taught them that the sign doesn't mean anything. That's good. All right. So, so we've become aware we're controlling technology, we're controlling environment and what else? I like to think of controlling your attention as a practice. That's a little bit like healthy living, right? There's so many things that can fall under the heading of healthy living. And when you do some of them, then they, you start to do other ones of them. And then you discover things that maybe you didn't even know about before. So I think sort of getting on the path to attention management by once, when you start to control your technology and you start to control your environment, those two things then allow you to start recognizing your habits and to start resetting your habits and changing, interrupting those distraction habits and substituting instead, you start, instead of chipping away at your attention span, you start to build it back up. Instead of chipping away at your patience, you start to build it back up. And so I think beginning there is sort of the first step. And then, you know, there's, you know, you can experiment with mindfulness or meditation, or there's some kind of advanced strategies thinking about flow and how best to engage your flow. And, and, but I, I feel like that's sort of attention management 201. And if people just got started with attention management 101, those are some sort of baby steps. 
Well, so I'd love to hear some of the, the specific practices that you think make a, make a huge impact in terms of, okay, these are some of your very first baby steps that are going to do a whole lot for you. What would you put in those categories? Well, certainly the technology and environment mm-hmm. um, control steps. So figuring out what is your signal going to be, right? Because if we talk about building up your brain power momentum, right? It doesn't matter how much momentum you have. Once somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey Pete, you got a minute? Mm-hmm. Poof, poof. It doesn't matter how much momentum you had. It's all gone now. So you need to prevent the tap on the shoulder that do you got a minute? so that you can maintain that focus. So one simple thing you can do is figure out what is your controlling my environment signal going to be. Mm -hmm. And then you need to, depending on how subtle it is, right? If you decide, well, it's going to be headphones, then you might need to inform your coworkers, at least the people in your immediate vicinity, like, look, if the headphones are on means, could you not interrupt me? If you use a sign, that says, do not disturb. I think it's going to be pretty clear. If somebody approaches mm-hmm. you and your sign is up, it's like, oh, I guess she's busy. I'll come back. Um, so one easy step that you can do right now is to decide what is your, you know, do not disturb flow in progress sign going to be, and then start using it right now. Yeah. So another thing is to shut off all of your notifications on all of your devices. Start using silent, not vibrate more often. Like you said, right? So just you get your messages when you decide it's time to get your messages instead of when the entire world decides that they want to send you a message, right? I think that we have forgotten that our technology exists for our convenience, right? You didn't go to the store, to the electronic store and buy your smartphone so that everyone in the world could interrupt you all the time, right? right? That was not your intention. And yet that's how most of us behave. I have this device that anyone in the world can reach me on probably 17 different ways at once. And I let those things all just wash over me constantly. So shutting off all of those notifications and all of those things that tempt you, all of those, you know, those types of persuasive technology, like the, you know, the little red circled number that tells you you've got notifications because we have this compulsion. Like I got to clear all the notifications, right? I got to clear them all. You got to see what they all are so that they can all be cleared. And then just as soon as you've cleared all the little circles off your Facebook app and your LinkedIn app and your Twitter app and your email app and your text app and your phone app, now you got to start all over again. Right. right. So just get rid of all the little circles and shut off all the notifications and start remembering that you have your smartphone for your convenience, not for the convenience of the rest of the world. Because again, you're not going to forget. You're still probably going to check it multiple times in an hour. It'll be okay. But in the <laughs> meantime, you will get lots of stuff done and you will be more present. Absolutely. And so when we talk about getting more stuff done, I want to hear your view on having a proactive work day. How do we achieve that? And what's the alternative and, and, and sort of can you paint a picture there? Yeah. I talked to so many people who say to me, I know I was busy all day and I'm exhausted, but I feel like I didn't get anything done. And it's because they spend their days doing whatever happens to them, right? You go into work and you, you know, people probably approach you as soon as you walk through the door. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And can you, do you have a minute to talk about this thing? Right. And your work then gets set. And even if that doesn't happen, you probably sit down at your desk. And the first thing you do is check your email, check your messages, check what came in overnight. And all of those things just set the tone for a day of reaction, which means a day of doing everybody else's stuff 
and none of yours. And the problem with that, even if you are the person whose job it is to help everyone in the office (laughs) or to help all the customers, if you also have anything else to do at all, then you need some time when you are away from the intaking, away from the reacting so that you can be proactive, right? Even I tell the leaders that I work with, if you have, if you have a customer service team, even if it's just two people and their job is to answer the phone and take in the emails from the customers, if it's also their job to solve the problems that the customers bring to them, then they need some time away from the intaking to do the solving in a useful way, right? We have become a society where I think we believe that faster, like fast customer service equals good customer service. The faster it is, the better we are. The better our service is, the faster we are. And I think that that is the new race to the bottom. I think price used to be the race to the bottom and now fast is the race to the bottom because no one can respond immediately. So employees take away this idea that if faster is better than immediate must be best. And so if I have to respond immediately to everything, then I always have to have my communication tools open. And if my communication tools are always open, then I am guaranteed to be distracted every couple of minutes. And if I'm distracted every couple of minutes, then I can't apply the brain power that you hired me for. And so again, it's the practice of attention management allows you to have some time where you are proactive in the day. And when you have spent part of your day being proactive, then you leave feeling more satisfied. You leave feeling like you accomplished something. There's a book called The Progress Principle, and it's based on the idea that all the things that can boost emotions, motivations, and perceptions during a workday, the single most important is making progress in meaningful work. And so we talk a lot about engagement and work satisfaction. And one of the biggest things that is taking away from that engagement and that satisfaction is the feeling of actually accomplishing things during our day. And we feel like we're not accomplishing anything during our day because we spend all of our day being reactive, but we only feel accomplishment when we can be proactive and you can't be both simultaneously proactive and reactive at the same time. You can only be productive, which I define as achieving your significant results. Well, which the dictionary says achieving or producing a significant amount or results. That's the definition of productive. And so if we look at the personal productivity side of that, achieving a significant result, you can only be productive, achieve your significant results when you can be proactive and you can only be proactive when you're not being reactive. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, this, this all adds up for me, certainly. I, I guess I'm curious to think about, so how might you measure progress on this? So I, you could feel more satisfaction at the end of the day. You might see sort of what the screen time stats tell you on your phone. Are there any other kind of measures? If we talk about progress being satisfying, if we want to make progress on our attention management and sort of measure and behold and appreciate that progress, what might you point us to? Yeah, for knowledge workers, because knowledge work is hard to quantify, right? When your work outputs are things like ideas and relationships and analysis, it's hard to quantify that. Was I more productive today than I was yesterday? Attention management is a piece of what I call workflow management, what what it's sort of commonly called in the productivity industry, workflow management. For me, the workflow management system that I teach, in other words, how do I get stuff done? How do I 
organize and manage and track and move forward on all the things that I have to do in all parts of my life? Well, my answer is you use a workflow management system for that. So you systematize the way that you operate so that you can get stuff done. And for me, the foundational component of workflow management is attention management. And so when you are using a workflow management system, you have all of your work sort of in, in front of you. And so a workflow management system not only helps you identify the, the, and track and organize and not forget the things that you haven't done yet, but then a byproduct of that is that you are tracking also the things that you have done. And so it's easy to tell if you are making more progress in a day when you are marking things, not just things off your to-do list, right? Because, but important things, right? Making progress in meaningful work. It feels much better to write an article for most people than it does to answer 10 emails, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have accomplished something. You have something to show for your brain power at the end. And, but it's hard to write an article when you are interrupted every two minutes or three minutes. And so most of the stuff that we do in a day, it never makes it onto our to-do list. It's that stuff that just happens to us. And so that's why most people leave work feeling like my list got longer, not shorter. I feel like I didn't get anything done. But when you can control your attention, when you can be more productive, you are making progress, not just on stuff, but on the stuff that's on your list, the stuff that you determined was important to your job, the, the stuff that means something to you if it gets done and to your sort of performance and your, you know, the ultimate goals that you were hired for. And so that's one way is that when you are achieving more of the stuff that you put on your list that you decided you needed to get done, then you're going to feel more satisfied at the end of the day. And then your job's going to feel more rewarding. Well, tell me, Mara, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? Yeah. I've been talking about this idea of brain power momentum, right? The shorthand phrase that I use for this idea is that I call it unleashing your genius. When you are distracted every few minutes, you are sabotaging your ability to build up that brain power momentum and not only brain power, but it's difficult to bring your humor to in two minute increments and your empathy in two minute increments and your, your compassion and your kindness and, you know, your thoughtfulness and all of the things that make you uniquely you, it's hard to apply those things in the time that it takes to toast bread. <laughs> and so when you can control your attention, attention management allows you to unleash your genius on the world, right? To bring the full range of yourself, your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, but all of your unique gifts that are uniquely you, that are packaged in the way that is uniquely you. You can only do that when you can be present, when you can stay focused for more than a few minutes at a time when you are not constantly distracted in trying to do multiple things at once. So unleashing your genius is really the most powerful, I think, and the most satisfying outcome of attention management. Absolutely. Well, tell us then, can you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yes. I have been looking, I think I'm going to have to call a librarian because I have been researching to find out who said this first and I have not had any luck. The quote goes, it's not the moments in your life that matter. It's the life in your moments that matter. 
right? And the life in your moment is the experience you are having in that moment. Are you present? Are you engaged? Are you participating fully in that moment? That is the life in your moment. I think it's really true and it's really powerful. If we live a long life that doesn't mean much, I'm not sure it it would be as valuable as a shorter life that was full and rich and loving and compassionate and joyful and present. Oh, right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? This study recently came out of the University of Texas at Austin, and it found that when we have our phone in our presence, even if it's off, it absorbs some of our cognitive capacity which essentially means it makes us dumber in that moment. <laughs> and so the study had three groups of people. One group had their phone off, but visible. One group had it off, but out of sight, but still in the room. And the other people had it completely in another place. And the people whose phone was completely in another room far outperformed the people whose phone was anywhere in their presence. And the people who had it even out of their sight only slightly overperformed the people who had it out. Intriguing. And how about a favorite book? I am a, a big fan of Cal Newport. So deep work in his latest digital minimalism, so thought provoking and so important. And just, I'm loving Cal's work right now. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate and people quote back to you like you're known for? A lot of people remind me that they heard that idea of moments in your life not mattering as much as life in your moments matter. You know, they tell me stories about like Kristen's story with her son and how they change up experiences, you know, so I think just sort of, I guess the idea of attention management is what people tell me they remember most from when they see me speak or when they interact with me. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say the challenge that I would pose, the question would be how much richer is your life without distraction? I think the only way you can know is when you can find a way to live without distraction. So that's the challenge. All right. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? MaraThomas.com has all the information. My latest book is called Attention Management, How to Create Success and Gain Productivity Every Day. And being aligned with the title, it is from a, a line called Impact Reads, which means it is designed to spark impact in just one hour. Oh, cool. I'm sorry, Ignite Reads. All right. Well, Mara, thanks so much for sharing the good word and, and good luck and having many uh, rich moments in, in your life and, and full attention. Thanks so much for having me on, Pete. I really enjoyed the conversation. I really dig Mara's take on the do not disturb type sign and how you place it. I think I might just want to make some gorgeous ones as freebies with the How to Be Awesome at Your Job logo and send to folks. Maybe I'll do that one day if I could manage my attention accordingly to pull that off. And how you could really use your own personality and flavor the way you like so that it is courteous, it is diplomatic, it is kind, but it's also sends the message and could be really encouraging for other people who want to do the same thing and say, oh, wow, that's cool. Because I really, it's so true what Mara says about that time it takes to ramp up and get in the groove. And when you're messed up, it takes a while to get back. I've seen some research that says uh, 24-ish minutes to get back. I've seen it in some places. So 
huge impact that can make. I encourage you to do that. And in and, and these situations, I think it's not a matter of if you do it, but rather how. It might be some tricky messaging, but it's well worth the time to hunker down, figure out how you're going to communicate that with others, what your sign's going to say, and to use that wisely and judiciously. We had a previous guest, Stephen Kotler, who said you need to be able to have in your workplace the ability to say, F off, I'm flowing with a sign. And I would recommend avoiding the profanity. That's probably not the ideal fit for most cultures, but you can find what works for you. And I encourage you to do just that. Again, the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F496. I also recommend pushing subscribe so you don't miss our next guest. It's Aaron Schmuckler. He is a longtime listener of the show and has some great perspectives on a magical phrase you can say that de-escalates things, helps you learn stuff, enables you to accept great feedback. I hope you're intrigued. It's a great one. I've been using it a lot. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.